Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Monday morning. Several weeks ago, a man from Bulgaria and his wife were shot execution style, shot dead, along with two other people in Constantia in Cape Town. His name was Krasimir Kamenov, and he was wanted in Bulgaria on charges of trying to kill a minister in that country's government. It's understood that, in fact, he was also wanted by Interpol. While he was here, he was accused of being involved in fake forex currency scams and was allegedly involved in other crimes as well. Some people have suggested he's been linked to the drugs trade. At the same time, it now appears that there are links between people like Kamenov and some of the gangs operating here, and particularly in Cape Town. There's now some important evidence that there's an overlap between the criminal activities of people who operate in the gang world here and people who operate as part of international syndicates. Well, this morning we explore these links, and particularly in the Western Cape. First, you'll hear from Karen Dolly, a journalist at the Daily Maverick. She's actually published a book called Clash of the Cartels that explores how the international drugs trade is involved in South Africa. Then the link between our gangsters and international cartels, and why are they so interested in South Africa? Elder de Klerk, a senior policing and community conflict specialist at the Africa Centre for Security and Intelligence Praxis. And then we did have a community representative representing a particular community in Cape Town. Unfortunately, she's not available for us this morning, but um, we have made touch with Heinrich Weingart, the executive chair of the Cape Forum. They want more policing powers for the Western Cape. We'll ask Heinrich what difference those would make in this case. We start then with the journalist at the Daily Maverick and the author, Karen Dolly. Karen, good morning, and thanks for your time this morning. Absolutely. Good morning, Stephen. Firstly, what do we know about Krasimir Kamenov? What was he doing here? So, I mean, Stephen, if you look at it, he was living here. Um, (laughs) He was living here for about more than 15 years if he hasn't traveled out of the country and stayed somewhere else in between. But what we do know is that he was staying with his wife, um, his family, his children in Constantia. And I want to point out that it often happens like this. It's often through a murder or through a shooting that we actually find out the sort of alternate slash shadow world that's happening around us. And so he was allegedly linked to organized crime stemming from Bulgaria, organized crime linked to or rooted in the Western Cape. And we're talking um, allegations relating to, as you said, crypto fraud, um, credit card schemes. Yeah, so lots of sort of noxious rumors floating around him. In terms of what he was actually doing here, um, he was involved in a business, if I'm not mistaken, it was LPG gas, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so I'm presuming he was involved in crimes that people, things that were illegal. Do we know if he was, if he involved violence in these crimes? Do we know if that was a factor here? So if we look at what Interpol wanted him for, he was wanted for murder, extortion and murder threats. And that, of course, <laughs> links to violence in terms of violence in South Africa. I can't say for certain. There are allegations that criminals operating in the same circles are linked to extortion this side of the world, but I can't say for certain with regards to um, Krasimir Kamenov. Is there any idea of how much money was flowing through these enterprises? I mean, some of these enterprises can be quite lucrative, sometimes not, but often quite lucrative. So if we're talking about, um, for example, drugs, illicit drugs, we're talking about sometimes billions of dollars worth of drugs if you sort of zoom out and look at it. Um, inter- organized crime is about money. So it is, I mean, it's a huge booming economy. So when we try and sort of gauge or put parameters around it, I 
I'm hesitant to do so because it's so it's huge. I mean, we're not talking, I mean, hundreds of thousands. And you can see people are paying with their lives and you can't put a cost on a life. Um, was he involved with crimes with gangsters here? I mean, was he actually involved in in dealings with gangsters, people who'd been operating as in gangs here for a long time? So if we look at him, he was he was involved with another Bulgarian man, Angelo Dimov, who was also assassinated in 2018, about five kilometers from Constantia. And what I found out about Dimov through research for Clash of the Cartels is that he was allegedly aligned to a man named Brian Weinstein, who was also murdered in Constantia back in 2017. And Brian Weinstein was involved in individuals from the 27s gang, the 28s gang, um, figures allegedly aligned to the Sexy Boys gang. So we can say absolutely, if we look at the wider circle, absolutely. And that is organized crime. There will always be local influence and international influence. It's always fascinating to me, a story about someone like this who arrives here from another country um, and somehow is able to work with people involved in the same uh, sort of uh, crimes here, is actually able to approach people who we refer to as gangsters. Um, I don't know if they tap them on the shoulder, I don't know if they have a secret sign, I don't know what they do, but somehow they're able to work together quite easily. I mean, it's as simple as someone, you know, having a legitimate business going to another country and getting a job in that business. Absolutely. And at the risk of offending birds, I mean, birds of a feather flock together. So I'm guessing it's the same with organized crime. But and like the point I was trying to make earlier, though, is that we are looking at this through a sort of gang and organized crime lens. But all of this blends into our everyday lives. So it's not necessarily that he came and sought out criminals. That's just what he knows. That could have been just what he knows. So he could have just... I mean, if I go to another country, I'll look for a job in journalism and I'll probably end up in journalism. So, you know, yeah. We understand the police knew that he was here. They knew there was an Interpol warrant. Were our police actually investigating? Were they taking action on any of this? So the police haven't officially confirmed much aside from four people believed to be or believed to have their origins in Bulgaria have been murdered. They haven't even officially released the names of anyone who was murdered. So it's very difficult to say what the police were doing in the 49 days from when the Bulgarian embassy said authorities in South Africa were told and between Krasimir Kamenov's murder. It's really difficult to know if they were investigating. We would obviously like to assume they were investigating because that would imply proactivity. But as you can see, police are reacting to four assassinations. Karen Dolly, thank you. Journalist at the Daily Maverick, really appreciate the time today and author author also of a book called Clash of the Cartels. You with SAFM, 20 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation on the links between international crime syndicates and our gangs continues. Eldra de Klerk is a senior policing and community conflict specialist uh, at the Africa Centre for Security and Intelligence Praxis. Eldred, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to your guests and your listeners. How interested are international syndicates in South Africa? Are we seeing more foreign groups, more international groups operating here? Well, South Africa is said to be the gateway to Africa. It's um, financial systems, it's real estate, it's um, infrastructure lends itself to being classed as the little Europe of Africa. 
So systems work. Um, if not, if it doesn't work for you and I, it does work for those who are well healed and bring significant amounts of cash into the country. So that cash gets you access. It gets you privilege. And in a city like Cape Town, for example, um, rumor has it that 70%, 76% of real prime real estate in the metropolitan Cape Town is in foreign hands. So there's a whole market economy that allows you to wash your money, to um, convert it into uh, rare minerals, into land, um, into business opportunities, uh, because we we are a province um, and in a country where cash peaks, um, and that gets you, you know, on on onto the rank of, and it gets you in connection with other people who want to do the same. Sorry, I just wanted to pick up on a point that that, that Karen was making about birds of a feather. So if you're in the same enterprise, then you're going to find those people. So if you're someone like Kamenov and you come to South Africa, there's actually Quite a, quite a lot for you to stay here. You can get back into business. You can own some property. You can do all sorts of things. You And you might find it a lot more comfortable than Bulgaria. Absolutely. And there's a level of being anonymous um, because out in the general course of life, you have people who work for you. And more importantly, in the criminal underworld, you can also have proxies. So even if you can't acquire something directly, like a business, or you don't have the right legal um, status. There's others who are quite willing to do it on your behalf and actually pursue things on your behest. So that shows how vulnerable South Africa is. And especially since our various tiers of public service departments don't necessarily share information, we see that there's a complete lack of, of regulation um, and there's a complete lack of, of compliance and controls. So given the fact that it's also too easy, seemingly, to subvert those regulations and and, and compliance, uh, proper certification, proper health um, or business practices, uh, proper regulatory framework can get um, subverted. And to compromise others, this makes South Africa a really attractive place to be because we have a systemic and, interest and, and institutional failure. Um, and we, we, we are just ripe um, for, for criminal activity. A big part of this must be how weak our police appear to be, that, that they just don't seem to act. It doesn't seem as if anyone, I mean, I realize this is only a perception, but it can sometimes look as if the police don't do anything, despite everybody knowing that this person may be a crook. The police are at the back end of things, Stephen. It's, it's, it's the whole idea of policing and social control. And that starts with regulation and, and it starts with enforcing compliance. Um, it also starts with the private and public sector working together. If somebody comes and wants to purchase a particular item um, or sells an exotic car, for example, and does it through, through with a cash transaction um, or goes to a bank and, and even if, I'm a South African, I have every right to be here. You still have to ask questions in terms of where the money comes from. You still have to ask questions in terms of who's staying where and practicing what kind of business is what kind of business licensing. So the police often comes in after everything has been done or information has been made available to them or they receive a tip off. That's when the police system kicks into place. But we also got to we also got to remember what kind of policing we're talking about. We're talking about a policing doctrine and a paradigm where you're still policing the underclass, um, the privileged and the well-heeled, 
um, th those who are moneyed actually do enjoy a certain level of protection and a certain distance between themselves and the regulatory authorities. Um, and more importantly, if they can do that through proxies, local proxies, then they put a distance between themselves and the police and the authorities. So unfortunately, policing by its very nature um, will be there after the fact, unless we sharpen the tools and the cooperation between home affairs, local government, health and local government, uh, police and local government, and and I'm putting the emphasis on local government because that's where the biggest depository of information is supposed to be held in terms of who's living where, practicing what kind of business, whether it's scrap metals um, or diamonds dealing. And that information has to be tied into a system that speaks to each other, that recognizes the elements of crimes and understands how organized crime will do everything in its effort to stay anonymous, to use proxies and to make sure that it cripples a system because there's also local beneficiaries and as long as you have local beneficiaries, those local beneficiaries will serve to protect you and prevail you, I mean, provide you with a, a veil of, of, of um, obscurity or um, being anonymous. So then, from what you say, how difficult would it be to break up these gangs in this cooperation? It would be quite difficult. It would require quite an immense effort. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's about information sharing. And I, I, I heard Karen say that the, the biggest commodity here um, is money. Yes, uh, money is a resource, but it's a tool and it enables certain things to happen. Alongside money, the biggest commodity for any organized criminals are it's information. If you know where development projects are going to happen, if you know where a, a business opportunity is going to be, if you know where a piece of land is going to be sold, um, you use that money and resources to wash your money by acquiring interest in that particular um, endeavor. And that allows you then to, to convert money that has been gained through criminal means and to wash it into clean money. So information is probably a, one of the biggest other commodities alongside uh, money. And information peddling and, and, and information trading has been at the forefront of what organized criminals do because that's where opportunities are exploited. And since they have the resources, the will, and the relationships to make that happen. So you're asking how do we get ahead of this? It's making sure that we depoliticize this matter, that we understand our respective roles and, and resources, that we build the kind of relationships across all spheres of government and the private and public sector institutions that has to be built and make sure that we work with the same with the same resolve and determination and to share information, to cooperate, much like organized criminals do. Um, is it, I mean, can you say that there's a definite increase in crime as a result of someone coming from another country? So in this case, you know, when we see these groups working together, someone comes from Bulgaria, is able to, to work with people here. Does it lead to an increase in crime? It would seem that it does. Probably not, um, because the biggest concern for most people is not white-collar crimes per se, and I'm, I'm going to make that artificial distinction. 
the the targets of organized criminality is often other organized criminals or people who stand your way or your opposition or people you've fallen out with or people who have betrayed you in some way or another. Um, it's not the the kind of contact crime that scares most South Africans and that we are most concerned about when we look at the at the crime stats. So it's difficult to say whether it's an increase in crime, it changes the nature of crime and it changes the nature of the violence that's associated with that crime. So Karen was talking about assassinations. We don't normally talk about murder as assassination unless it's within a particular context. That means that somebody's been targeted, there's a particular hit, and there's a clear message that gets sent through that person being killed. So it changes the nature of the crime, and it also it also changes who the target of said crimes are. So we underestimate, and we've, we've seen it through the various inquiries, Stephen, the, the we keep, we, she, we, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to say this as, as quick as I can. The point about corruption is that it masks the nature of the actual crime and the impact of said crime. So whether it's, it's um, government buying uh, services and goods at an extortionate um, uh, price, or whether it's uh, construction not being able to, to proceed, whether it's buying protection um, or and being extorted in a business, we'd underestimate the impact of those crimes because there is no physical body, um, but people lose their jobs, the economy gets stalled, the price of goods and services are, are increased, um, and all of that affects the poorest of the poor, and it affects you and I on a daily basis because it makes the price and the quality of life much more expensive. Eldred de Klaak, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Senior Policing and Community Conflict Specialist at the Africa Centre for Security and Intelligence Praxis. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continuing your mediated conversation this morning about the links between international crime syndicates and South African gangs. We had uh, agreed that we would speak to a representative of particular a particular community in the Western Cape. Unfortunately, that person not available for us this morning. Things do happen. In the meantime, the chair of the Cape Forum, an organization which believes that the Western Cape should have more authority over its police, has agreed to speak to you this morning. Heinrich Weingard has agreed to speak to you. Heinrich, good morning and thanks for your time. Morning, Stephen. Thank you very much for the opportunity. We have gangs which have been operating in the Western Cape for a very long time, in some cases 120 years. We see them working with gangsters that have links to you know, the international sort of gang community, groups of people who can move money across borders. What impact does all of this have on communities in the Western Cape? Ultimately, it is, as Aldred also pointed out, the poorest of the poor who suffers, one, not only through standards of living that's becoming more expensive, as he said, but also because we know that it is the locals who are being recruited into the gang um, economy, if you like, and also locals who are being lured into becoming um, users of drugs, for instance, are being sold, or carriers of those illegal guns that are used in, in these crimes, uh, Stephen. You believe, as I understand it, that the Western Cape province should have more authority over its police, over policing. Why do you believe that would make a difference? So ultimately, we believe that national government, because it is failing in so much that the Constitution um, has tasked the national government to do, it will be better to devolve some of those powers to provinces. But because we are based, because we've been established in the Western Cape, we speak on behalf of the province and its residents. 
if you if you filter those powers down to a smaller geographical area where it has been proven in many respects that the provincial government is equipped is effective in in serving the local residents, then those powers should be devolved so that it can be managed from a provincial uh, level. Um, surely transnational crime, which this is, requires a national response. Surely I would expect a national government to be able to deal with this much more effectively than a provincial government. You've got a provincial government trying to deal with gangsters from other countries. That surely adds a level of complexity to it all. No, for sure. Our, our primary focus is local policing. So your, your question, if I understood it correctly, the previous one, didn't, um, didn't point to international crime. Um, you, you asked about the idea of devolving policing powers, which we can lost an application um, in the Constitutional Court about. Uh, international crime is very sophisticated. It is very complex, as you point out. But it, it, it finds local um, partners in the system that has already existed for about 120 years. So if you infiltrate, if you, if you fight the crime from a local point of view, then obviously that will assist in solving a problem that's become a national and international problem. Um, for a very long time, people who have know much more about policing than I, such as the former provincial commissioner in the Western Cape, Advocate Leonard Metz, has been calling for the reinstatement of specialized units. Currently, um, there's a demand from, from SAPO and Popcrew that the National Commissioner Fanny Massimola should step down because of his refusal to install um, specialized units, which will then assist in, in, in tackling this international crime that we, we are experiencing. The Bulgarian incident shouldn't surprise us. These things happen all the time. And because those characters have the kind of money to hide, as it were, in your posh areas in Cape Town, whether it's on the Atlantic seaboard or in Bishop's Court or Constantia, where crime supposedly doesn't visit every day. But you'll find that you may have kingpins living there. Um, in the same way that your Cape Town gangsters would move to um, leafy suburbs such as Belgemoed or Plattekloof, because police wouldn't look there for, for, for the wrong guys. They would focus, as they do, mostly on areas such as the Cape Flats. Wouldn't it be better, Heinrich, to actually just improve the national policing? I mean, wouldn't that be better for everybody? I understand the idea of, you know, we don't like what's going on, so we want more control because then we can try and do things ourselves and maybe in some ways there's some room for experimentation there. But wouldn't it be better to just improve the national police? In the ideal world, Stephen, yes. But unfortunately, we've seen over a period of time that national government is failing in so many respects. So one of two things should happen. You devolve that power to the province or your local municipality or metro council, or you change government. So we're not calling for the change of government, but surely if a party has been given 30 years to, to get its act together and it's proving not to be able to do that, um, the residents should get more say, should get more power. Thank you very much indeed. Heinrich Wingard is the Executive Chair of the Cape Forum, stepping in at the last moment uh, for another guest who unfortunately wasn't able uh, to join us this morning to represent the community in the West in Cape. My thanks also to Eldred de Klerk, Senior Policing and Community Conflict Specialist at the Africa Centre for Security and Intelligence Praxis. And starting us off today, 
The journalist at the Daily Maverick, the author as well of The Clash of the Cartels, Karen Dolly. Lots to talk about, of course, when it comes to crime at the moment. Well, we are off and do Sunza and I to go and discuss what your mediator conversation should be tomorrow. I know several suggestions on our mediator conversations group as well. Might well be about the historiography of Shaka Zulu. We're looking at doing something like that later in the week. Also, employment equity regulations. It's a big debate, I think, to have there. We might look at doing that as well over the next couple of days. And, of course, we will see you tomorrow. A lot to come here on SAFM. Don't forget, 10 o'clock this morning, we expect a decision in the Nandipa Magodumana application from Paul, from Banyana, from Mdu, from Stanza, from myself. Look after yourself. You with SAFM.